I welcome everybody to the episode 5 of Indian Diaspora. Today we have a, an exciting topic. But before we get there, I want to let Vishwas introduce himself. So Vishwas, why don't you tell us about yourself? Thanks, Neeraj. So, uh, uh, you know, brought up in Delhi and Bangalore in India. Uh, spent eight years in Delhi, four years in Bangalore. Just two schools in the same sections in each school. So grew up with uh, uh, a lot of great friends. Stayed, you know, sort of grew up with them. Uh, and then uh, got my manufacturing engineering degree from IIT Kharagpur. That was in 1993. Uh, also had, uh, uh, also got a diploma in operations and information management from MDI and then an MBA from INSEAD France. Uh, worked across, uh, and, and since, uh, <clears throat> since my engineering degree, I have been working mostly in the area of uh, operations and supply chain. And uh, if we were doing this podcast in 2019, maybe, you know, people would not, uh, many would not have heard of supply chains, but I think uh, most of our listeners would now have heard of supply chains and, and how they are in the middle of a lot of action. And uh, I'm in the thick of things as well as part of this. I have been working in consulting and industry, organizations in supply chain and operations role. Uh, on the personal side, I uh, have uh, uh, two boys, uh, my wife and I. My wife Swati and I have two kids, both boys. The elder one is, uh, is in UK. He is uh, completing his last year of engineering, will graduate next year. The younger one is starting his uh, dual major in physics and computer science in U.S. This so we had, uh, 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 you know, from a geography geographical point of view, we had an opportunity to live across uh, three continents, uh, live and work. So, you know, obviously, in addition to India, I've had a chance to live in U.S. for around four years and. Uh, and in France and Germany for two years. So had a chance to learn French, had an opportunity to uh, work in German. So we have been pretty privileged in terms of uh, uh, being welcomed warmly and, and having a number of friendships in multiple countries and, and uh, very strong memories and connections with uh, the places where we have lived in. And so uh, we have grown attached to the places where that have wel welcomed us as such. Uh, that's, a, that's a quick uh, you know, uh, history of myself. Mandy, I'll hand this over back to you. Yeah, th yeah, so that's actually a good segue into the topic of the day. So the topic I, I've been thinking about is our uh, sort of we, some of us have migrated to a different country. So we are handing two different cultures, two different identities, for, say, for that matter, and two different sets of values. Uh, a couple of months back, I actually wrote an article in a local magazine. The title of that article was ABCD. So the, you know, for, the, for some of us that have migrated in, in these, you know, an adopted country, how do we balance two? So, and that's what I want to ask you guys. And uh, kind of a little bit more pertinent also is, do we keep our Indian citizenship or have we taken citizenship of our adopted country? What, what was the reason? Was it convenience and allegiance and affection to the new country? Because it affects all of us in a different ways. 
Uh, most of us have our parents still in India and some are in process of migration. Our kids have kind of become localized over here, the kind of work we do, the work culture. So it doesn't, it's not simply a matter of having, okay, you know, Indians living in foreign land. It's how does it impact us and how are we balancing those two? So I want to actually open it up with Vijay because Vijay is also uh, has come to you, has gone back to India and has come back to US. So Vijay, what, what's your take on this? Uh, Neeraj, I think, uh, th- thanks for the question. These are thought-provoking questions, and uh, I guess you can talk for a long time about them. And the answers probably change depending on who you're talking to. Um, if I take a step back and talk about my own journey, uh, when I came to the U.S., I wasn't really running away from something. Uh, rather, I was running towards something. Uh, after I finished my bachelor's in engineering, I wanted to continue studying and go on to graduate school. And the best place to do that at the time, and perhaps even today, uh, was the U.S. And once I was here, it was just a series of events before I ended up becoming a U.S. citizen. Uh, I didn't come with a detailed plan or roadmap for this to happen. Things just fell into place organically. Uh, With my technical background, uh, my wife and I got our green cards pretty quickly. So we didn't really have to worry about stability. I know a lot of people go through a lot of pain in their early days of immigration. None of that was really an issue for us. I think we got to a crossroads within, I think, five years after that, where we had to make a decision. Should we continue to keep our Indian citizenship or should we adopt the citizenship of the place where we were living? We were actively contributing, raising our kids and also looking at how we could uh, grow our contributions to the community. And the decision felt pretty clear and obvious. Uh, You know, we were this was the place where we were making a life. This is the place where our kids considered to be home. I mean, they're U.S. citizens by birth. And this felt like the right next step to make sure that we were really had a clarity of purpose on sort of what we were doing and why we were doing it. And did that mean that we had forgotten India? Absolutely not. I mean, my wife and I still have close family there. Uh, we have the overseas of citizen of India uh, passport, and we continue to find ways to stay connected. And has this change brought challenges? Sure, but it has also brought a lot of opportunity. The intersection of cultures and values that feel challenging at times have also enriched our lives and, in my opinion, made us much stronger. Uh, it's still a journey that we are on, uh, but I feel like, you know, as we learn to live as global citizens, uh, that is, I think, the status quo for pretty much everybody in the future as the world becomes flatter and flatter. We are just at the front end of, of that experience. And uh, I feel like in the end, we have been stronger for it. Good, good. Uh, and uh, the, one of the things I wanted to ask you was, what was your decision to, was it like work related or family related that when you did a short trip to India? Yeah, so a few years ago, uh, we went, for, for my work took us to India for three years. Um, I basically went on an expa- you know, expatriate assignment, took my entire family with me. We were in Bangalore. Uh, my remit was to go uh, and build out the engineering team uh, for our company in India and also uh, turn around sort of the product uh, strategy there. And uh, really, the, the market is exploding, the construction market is exploding, and this was a good time. I was at, uh, at an elevator, Otis Elevator Company, and this was uh, uh, the opportunity to uh, go and build something there. And it was an amazing three-year journey. Uh, I would have <laughs> never traded for anything else. Uh, uh, very, very busy, but uh, had the opportunity to grow the team there and 
sort of really bring some of the things that I had learned from my time in the U.S. back to the team there while mixing it with all the great stuff they were doing there. And I felt like that was one of my opportunities where I got to uh, contribute to India based on some of the new things I had learned by actually stepping away many years earlier. Uh, but it was all work-related, and it was an awesome experience for everybody. For the kids, too. So, you know, our kids till then, whenever they went to India, it was really, you know, for a week or two, they would just get to touch the country and come back. This time, we had three years to really immerse. They went and visited all their friends, relatives, cousins, everybody, and uh, really got to see the country up close. And I think that was also very, very uh, good to have as an experience during their formative years because they understand the country much better. Yeah, that, that, that was going to be a follow-up question. Was adjustment heavy on the kids or, or heavy on you guys? But I think you kind of answered that. Uh, uh, I think Vishwas is also in a similar situation where he's jumped around three continents and kind of settled back in India. So Vishwas, tell us a little bit about your journey and adjustment. And at the same time, how have you kept, you know, the both sides of the culture alive in your family? Yeah, so thanks, Neeraj. Uh, I think uh, uh, we have tried to, in, in all cases, we have tried to get the best of both the worlds. And I think uh, most of the people would try that. So. For example, our younger son was uh, uh, born in the U.S. and he's an American citizen. Uh, my wife was keen for him to be able to have more options as he grew up, so uh, he could have uh, the equal, the you know, the OCI card that uh, Vijay was talking about and uh, a U.S. passport, so that opened more doors for him. And. Uh, that uh, uh, is, you know reminds me of a, of a play on on the you guys would have seen the movie. It's a mad, 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 mad world. So you know, <clears throat> turning uh, uh, that into a play on the words, it's like an and 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 world. So they, wherever we we try, uh, we we get an opportunity. We try to get the best of uh, both the worlds, or best of all the worlds. My experience has been that uh, when it comes to an either-or situation, a lot of the decisions from our experience and from my discussion with a number of colleagues and friends that I have, my reading is that uh, the either-or decision turns on, not so much on logic, but on emotions. And and that was the case for us also, because my my wife was keen that her son should have, our son should have, uh, 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 you know, the best of opportunities, and uh, and I think that uh, operates in a lot of people where uh, maybe not with full visibility and maybe not with uh, that uh, consciousness, we we make an emotional decision and then we we also use logic to to discuss it and, and uh, uh, sometimes explain it. That has been my, uh, my experience as well. The same thing goes uh, for, for example, deciding where our children would be educated. Uh, we, we go for the best options that are there and like I was saying when I was introducing my background, uh, both our sons are studying abroad because uh, those were the best options that we were able to get for our children. And and that's the common theme that I am seeing again and again, that uh, we make an 
probably more of an emotional decision rather than a logical decision when we come to the either or questions Yeah, that is true. So I remember back in my own Capital One days, there were several colleagues that had made a decision to go back to India, and there were three of them, and all three made different approaches. One of them actually did a spreadsheet. I am not kidding you, spreadsheet. And the other two were more like, "Hey, this is what we need to do for our family. Numbers make sense, whatever. But this is what we need to do for our parents." Guess which one returned back to the United States? the one with the spreadsheet so i i think you know these decisions are more emotional than logical uh you can't quantify them more than what you want to achieve now i want to switch to uh shashi shashi actually uh, has come to us and he can also claim to be have lived in three different continents but he's made his uh, england is adopted country and we have had discussion about his uh, chances to run the, for the politics in England as well as in India so he reveals a tidbit and i want to let shashi talk more about it why he has chosen to stay that way uh, thanks neeraj and uh, i think just to correct you i can claim to have lived on four continents because i lived for awesome. about 6 months in south africa as well awesome so so there you go um you know um it's a fascinating topic this one uh, if i look at my life um i lived for nearly 24 years in india including working in india before i went to the us lived in the us for 4 years and now it's been almost 23 years living in uh in the uk in london uh actually yesterday was exactly 27 years since i left india so i mean it's about that time of the year when all of us left india anyway for uh, to come over and become students um i still retain my indian citizenship um and um as vishwas has mentioned you know i think this is a deeply emotional thing you know all logic suggests that i should become a uk citizen you know it would make my life easier you know there's no real intent to go back and live in india even though and frankly even if you were a uk citizen going back and living in india is not a problem um as all of you know uh, but for the listeners benefit i've been doing a lot of work in india for the last 15 years and for many years i mean until before the pandemic i was traveling to india every 3 months I never actually charged anything for my time in India you know it's all pro bono work and it's actually having a bit of impact in the transport and urban planning sectors so you know that deep emotional connect with India still remains and i think the uh, if 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 i was to sort of logically ask myself you know why is it that i still retain an indian citizenship the logical answer to that is it's purely emotional um you know there's 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 nothing else that defines why i hold on to an indian citizenship apart from the fact that that's where i grew up you know it's quite difficult for me to give it up um and frankly because apart from travel which is a bit of a nuisance with uh, an indian passport just it is just much harder in in every other respect you know living and working in the uk with an indian passport has not been an issue i mean i work in the public sector but the uk has been a very inviting environment where they're perfectly happy to put people into very senior positions in uh in the public sector despite without demanding that you are a uk citizen so uh, you know it is entirely emotional you know that that bond and that link um my wife and son were also uh, indian citizens until not that long ago uh but my son you know my, my son was born here and you know this is the only country that he has really known properly uh, and finally you know we took the decision that actually it makes sense for him to become a uk citizen and then when that happened my wife said well one of us should at least be a uk citizen if he's here uh, and so both of them are uk citizens now um while i'm a 
an Indian citizen. In fact, she was joking to me last week on Independence Day that that was the day I got independence from her, uh, which is a you know which is a nice joke to have um, in a family with one Indian citizen and one UK <laughs> citizen. <clears throat> sure. Uh, you know, but my experience of you know living across different continents is that life is indeed very different. And once you start spanning continents, you start to acquire an identity, which is you know sometimes called a global identity, sometimes called an immigrant identity, sometimes sort of pejoratively called you know citizens of nowhere. But you have to understand that it's a very thin and very stratified world of a very small number of people who occupy that identity. Um, and no matter where you live, you know whether we live um, in the UK or the US or you know into our adopted countries or whether we live back in the in India. Once you have this adopted mixed identity, uh, you're not the same as any of the other people that you are around. Um, and this constant challenge of having to try and figure out how to fit in is, uh, is a perpetual issue. Now, you know, interestingly, so I have very strong networks in India, both family networks, but also professional networks because I've been doing all this work in India. But every time I go in there, um, you know, I feel like a bit of an outsider. Um, and after after 23 years of living here, you know, I feel less like an outsider here, but it's very clear that other people uh, who've you know, you know, lived here for generations have social links and bonds that are very difficult to recreate you know, if, as an immigrant. So this challenge of trying to figure out you know, what your identity is, you know, mixed between different countries and all that, um, I think for me is still a, a path of learning that I don't think I've finished yet. Something you said is very uh, kind of hit me also too, right? And uh, before I give you, before I talk a little bit about my journey, I want to, uh, you know, continue on your thought about the, the mixed identity. So, you know, I, I, I may be paraphrasing and saying it incorrectly, but you are some of your experiences, right? Uh, for, and, and it's different for everyone. For me, uh, what Vijay initially said, like, I did not run away from India. I actually truly thought I, okay, I was coming to U.S. for doing an, uh, a master's and going to go go back. It never happened. And there were emotional reasons and there were logical reasons for that. So if I were to place somebody else in my shoes, they won't have the same experiences. So they won't have the same uh, identity crisis or identification with their own culture. So I just want to kind of drop that in. Um, uh, so Shashi, if you had further to say, please continue. No, I, I, I think you're absolutely right on that one, Anita. You know, I mean, I think we are the sum and substance of our experiences. And, um, you know, I often say, and I'll say it again, that if anyone thinks they have a long-term plan uh, written out that they can execute, you know, in a very logical sort of manner, they're kidding themselves. I've never come across a person of that kind. You know, you, you react to the circumstances and the opportunities that are put in front of you. Uh, and these opportunities come one at a time. And, you know, you take the chances and, you know, it's a bit like a random walk. You end up wherever you end up. Um, and I don't think we should have regrets about that. I mean, that is life. That is the way things work. As long as you're satisfied that you've made the right choices or that you've made the choices for the right reasons, I think you should feel happy. And the fact that you end up with a mixed identity and all that is something to contend with. But it's not clear that having a very narrow identity that's rooted in, in living in just one place and doing only one thing is uh, markedly superior. So, you know, this is just life. This is what we've got to deal with. And uh, exactly. great, Neeraj, before you jump in, I, I think I want to add, uh, you know, the thing that Shashi described, by the way, your situation, Shashi, with your wife is very fascinating. I didn't know that. But it's it's a 
marker of our times, right? I think uh, in the end, all of us are parts of communities, right? So our communities were somewhat defined maybe not that long ago by uh, these geographical boundaries based on where we grew up. And because mobility was not so strong, it was very sort of localized, uh, our definition of community and what we belong to. And now with the way things are, with the way uh, the mobility that the world affords us today and the opportunities across the globe that we are afforded, that concept of community and its geographies and uh, how it stretches across continents and just the whole way in which we organize has changed so much. And I think we are all sort of figuring out step by step uh, what it means for us. It doesn't mean we forget the past. I think we are very strongly connected to our past, but we always look to the future. And uh, I think uh, if we, to your point, I think, Shashi, you made a very important point of, you know, if you made your decisions for the right reasons, then you can sort of confidently keep marching forward and finding ways to sort of uh, stay connected with all the people who have been part of your lives and do what you can to stay, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. And exactly that. So, so for me, and uh, I cannot even plan a vacation six months in advance. And when people ask me, what's your plan for returning to India? I say, I have no clue. And it's, it's not because that I don't want to think about it. It's because the life has taken me in four different directions in my career. So, and my career has defined a little bit of where I stay or where I live. So coming back to Shashi's point of, uh, uh, you know, his wife taking up UK citizenship and him staying in, in Indian citizenship, I actually had the same dilemma. And several years back, actually, I had, my kids were born in the U.S., so they were by default U.S. citizens. And I had started my wife's U.S. citizenship just for the same reason that if they're U.S. citizen, one of us needs to be U.S. citizen, just in case. And... The only reason I picked up US at that time was we got stuck somewhere and the airline said, oh, your children can go on, but you guys can go back tomorrow. And I was like, is that even a, like, I, was, I thought he was joking. And he said, yeah, they have US so they don't have a problem passing through Europe. You might not. So that was part of like, okay, you know, we've been living in US. I, I've kind of fallen in love with US. And so, and I have a business because of which I travel a lot. So why not? And I chose to adopt and take the citizenship of the United States that way. And pre before pandemic, I opened an office in India. So I do go to India, uh, used to go to India every three months, very well connected with family and the business that way. And every time I went to India, even though it was just three months later, I felt uh, sort of some sort of a minor change in India. I was like, oh, wow. The, actually, the first time I went to India and I saw cell phones in India more ubiquitous than U.S. So for me, I've been always connected to India that way. And uh, I've kind of loved and decided to stay in America. But what I want to do is bring two funny anecdotes. And the, the reason that that's, I want to bring them is because that's what kind of inspired me to talk about this. The first one was sometime back, we were just chit-chatting. And uh, somebody asked if my kids were Americans. And I casually said, yeah, they are Americans and we are Indians. And my daughter's immediate question was like, what? What does that even mean? So I explained, because you were born in America, you have US passports, so you're Americans. And we were born in India, we have Indian passports, so we are Indian. Anyway, that topic ended. Literally a few days later, we were driving down and one of our neighbor asked, do you guys celebrate Christmas? 
and I live among a predominantly Jewish neighborhood. So I said, yeah, you know, we celebrate Christmas as a holiday, not necessarily as a religious day because we are Hindus. And my daughter immediately jumped and said, like, hold on, hold on. Just a few days back, you told us we are Americans and we are Indians. And now you're saying we are Hindus. What's the difference? And as much as I could answer in a very simple way, did not really want to go into detail, the kind of details Shashi can give. I just casually mentioned nationality, religion, heritage, and kind of ended it there. And that made me wonder that what's going on here for me? Have I given enough information to my children? How am I going to balance them, them celebrating uh, Thanksgiving over Diwali or, you know, the spring break versus uh, Holi? And that has been my challenge with them. And my kids enjoy Holi and Diwali as much as they enjoy they are going out with their friends in spring break and, and even going out to celebrate some of the Jewish holidays, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, and all that. At one point, my daughter even joked to me, hey, dad, why don't you become a Jew? Because that way we can get eight gifts instead of one gift during Christmas. And I'm like, I'm amazed at how simple understanding they have versus how we have made it complicated for ourselves. So I want to actually open up this for Shashi. Shashi, how do you handle these questions if you've ever had them? I know you're a little bit more knowledgeable than us in this matter. No, this is a, I mean, I mean this is another part of um, growing up and identity and all that, right? I mean, so one of the things a, that happens in India is that, you know, as a Hindu in particular, you know, in a Hindu majority country, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe in and don't believe in. Uh, the fact is that there are enough cultural things going on that there is a bit of the culture that you imbibe. In fact, you know, I was chatting with colleagues at work about exactly this question and I was being asked, you know, what does Hinduism mean to you? And, you know, it means whatever you want it to mean because, you know, people experience it in different ways. And living in India, you experience it in a very cultural way, whether you like it or not. Living in the West, you don't experience that cultural side unless you really uh, kind of make an effort to go and experience it that way. So if you look at our children, certainly my son, you know, he's not grown up with that cultural experience apart from the fact that we get together with you know, family and friends for Diwali and all that stuff. So he's taken you know, a very atheistic sort of uh, point of view of life. right? And so we have this debate all the time. So what does being an atheist versus being a Hindu mean? You know, you know, what does being a Hindu mean in the first instance and all that? And I think this is all actually part of that identity issue where... You know, if you're growing up, if you're growing up, you know, believing in a set of things to which there is no cultural grounding in your own environment, it is actually quite difficult. Yeah. Now, I can give him all sorts of logical arguments. You know, I know I, I mean, these are things that I know quite well, so I can give him all sorts of logical arguments, and we end up having this debate all the time. Uh, but I have to be sympathetic to him and understand that the cultural context in which he's grown up is just fundamentally different from the one that we grew up in. And so expecting him to do things exactly the way we did it is asking for too much. And, 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 and I agree. So, so when we do Diwali and uh, Rakhi and Holi at home, it has become more of a symbolism at this point so that we want our kids to be connected to it. So we want our kids to be aware of these things. Whether they choose to do it in future in their life, that's up to them. And you're right, without cultural background, Imposing our values is very, very difficult. Uh, Vishwas, uh, you've been uh, living in India, so they've been exposed to it. What is your thought about it? So, uh, you know, I, I found your, your anecdotes particularly uh, uh, humorous and 
and i was remembering uh, something similar that happened uh, as a conversation between my son and my cousin and and my and that's my younger son he was i think he was around 6 years old and i kid you not you know he's he's talking to my cousin and he says that look uh, do you know i have a us passport uh, it's like you know it's a sort of a show off conversation he the 6 year old is having and uh, he didn't know my cousin said look there is nothing great in in having a us passport i also have a us passport so now my my son is stuck now what is what did he say so he said that look you know the difference is that uh, you had to work very hard for your passport i did not need to so uh, like i said i kid you not this is this is a 6 year old having a conversation but uh, the point i i would like to make over here uh, is that uh, you know we have uh uh the people who amongst us who have gone to us and 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 and, and got uh, 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 citizenships abroad people you know these people including our colleagues friends and you, you you all have have worked hard towards it you have agonized over these decisions and you have taken these decisions uh seriously but the important difference is that uh, our next generation will not necessarily take them very seriously i mean the decisions and uh, the, including the cultural aspects that we talk about we the, more than anything else we need to we need to be ready for a very different approach that the next generation takes to these and i and i don't know you know how they will decide but the, but the, but they may not give a lot of importance to uh, the way they 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 go you know do you you take a or do you choose b it's uh, and that is something that we will probably need to set our expectations about because otherwise we may not uh, necessarily appreciate the 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 lack of importance that the next generation gives to this these decisions so that that is a point i would i would emphasize over here but vishwas let me just come in on that point because i think you know you make a very interesting point about <clears throat> the work that people have to do and the agony that they have to go through to acquire this new identity including citizenship um and we of course look at the challenges that our generation has been through in becoming immigrants and how easy it's for the next generation but actually i want to bring in something here you know which puts this into context as well so i mean if i look at my own family history so my great grandfather was a farmer he had land he was educated um he used to work part time as a as a legal clerk and all that but fundamentally he was a farmer and for many generations before that my family had lived in the same village for at least a couple of centuries before that now he made a very bold choice to send his son my grandfather who was um, the middle of three sons off from this village into patna to study engineering 200 kilometers away this is you know this is nearly a century ago right my grandfather then goes off to the um, city acquires a completely new identity you know he's a village boy now a city man uh, acquires a completely new identity uh, but he spent his life trying to figure out whether he was a village boy or a city boy right this is the same challenge that people have had to make in going from the very simple agrarian background that all of us eventually came from into acquiring all of these different identities and actually i find it very instructive for myself uh going back and reflecting you know what it must have felt like for my grandfather to have done this journey a century ago now you know i never had this chat with him my grandfather died nearly 40 years ago i was a child at that point none of this stuff actually was on my radar at all but i often think and reflect about you know what it must have felt like for him 
to leave that anchor of village life, which is the only life he ever knew, and come to the city, which is actually not all that different from what we have had to do. Now, the interesting point about that is that what I find, um, you know, perhaps in myself, perhaps in my, you know, my wife and me, certainly my siblings who are all living in the U.S., but also among many of our friends, and you know, it would be interesting to hear from you as well. I think we're much more protective of our children and much more worried about them taking an equally big leap. Uh, you know, just reflect back on our own careers, you know, and, and Neeraj and Vijay will reflect on this uh, particularly, right? You know, you pack up your bags after engineering college and go to the U.S. You know, we've never been to the U.S., no idea what it is, apart from, you know, some movies and all that. We had never seen what any of this was. But we took that giant leap to come out and do something different. How prepared do you think we are to let our children go and make the same leap? I suspect much less comfortable. So let me let me actually add, uh, I, I like uh, quoting anecdotes here, right? So my one anecdote is I first first time, for the first time in my life, I'm sitting in a plane and my flight is going through London. I think it was coming to Gatwick and I was to change from Gatwick to Heathrow and Heathrow to Washington, D.C. So the, you know, air hostess offers me a beer. I'm used to the bottled beer with the lids that can be opened. And I haven't given a can. I have no freaking idea how to open a can. I've never drank out of a can. So, you know, that was the very embarrassing, but at the same time, funny situation. The second one was when I landed at Virginia Tech and they have a career counseling going on, the orientation going on. And the question the lady asked was like, hey, what is the biggest cultural shock you had coming to the U.S.? My answer was that actually I had the biggest culture shock going from Rajasthan to Bengal and eating rice with hand. I've never eaten rice with hand in my life and I've never eaten <laughs> much in my life. So for me, that was the biggest culture shock to your question. Uh, Shashi, going from village to city, for me, it was going from west of the India to the east of the India. Right. So uh, and I, I want to actually give an opportunity Vijay, to speak something about it, but also want to quickly bring how does it affect parents in our decisions here? So Vijay, go ahead. Yeah, I uh, firstly, I think uh, going back to uh, what you were just talking about and culture shock and stuff like that, and I think Shashi around the idea of the next generation and how much we are ready to let them take those giant leaps that we did. I think they're kind of doing it in front of our eyes. Um, and the, I think the point that Vishwas made about taking the best of both worlds, uh, it is literally that that is happening in front of us. Uh, you know, we do a lot to uh, keep our cultural traditions alive. So when we get together with friends on major festivals and stuff like that, uh, part of it is to just build connectivity to, you know, our culture and make sure the kids take some of that along with them. Uh, and, and part of it is because we, that has enabled us to keep very strong ties with all close friends and, uh, believe it or not, the kids actually love coming together for those occasions because that's when they get to meet everybody and, and celebrate together. But they are, uh, as they're doing that, they're also making decisions. They're looking at what are the events or what are the cultural, uh, sort of aspects of our lives that are actually adding value to them. And those are the ones I think that they will keep alive. Uh, and it's not, I don't think it's just true for us living here in the US or in the UK. I see that even happening back in India, where we are seeing a lot of cultural evolution happening at a pretty rapid pace. And the next generation is also figuring out 
what are the things that uh, that they feel really enrich them and what are the things that maybe they don't want to do a whole lot of going forward uh yeah, simple things even as uh you know do you burst firecrackers in diwali etc so i think those some of those decisions are happening at a global level it's not something that we just organize over uh, over in the us i think neeraj your question about how it impacts parents uh, uh i think for us uh our the the, the biggest thing that uh, has impact for us is the distance right it's uh, we are living on the other side of the globe uh we do what we can to stay connected you know zoom and and sort of these facetime calls and all have made connectivity and sort of seeing each other on a regular basis possible but we are always aware of the fact that we are a world away uh, i feel like uh the our, our next generation of kids have a very strong bond with our parents which is which is very awesome to see whenever they visit either go to india or when uh my parents or my in-laws come and they come for extended durations they absolutely look forward to it they love spending time with them so that level of connectivity to some extent sometimes feels stronger uh because uh, we do have extended periods of time when we uh spend time together but all of us are keenly aware of the you know even if they're just a flight away <laughs> if i was living in india they would still be just a flight away but that that we are always keenly aware of that and uh that is something that we grapple with all the time shashi this business about uh, how does it impact on parents i think is a very big thing i mean i think the point about um parents feeling left behind and feeling a bit lonely and all that is i think sort of well known and well established um you know there are movies made on it as well in my case <clears throat> so my father passed away a very long time ago um and we had a big joint family so for a while you know my mother didn't want to leave the house and she was comfortable living with the joint family <clears throat> but it starts becoming more difficult when there are health issues and things of that kind that cannot be managed over a zoom call or or remotely um and you know, progressively that situation was getting tougher and tougher to the point where we had to make a very difficult decision and move my mother to the US now she's with my siblings uh, that's of course worked out very nicely in terms of being in proximity but actually it's a very difficult adjustment for someone to make you know in their 70s or even you know even into their 80s to leave behind a life that they've been accustomed to and very settled in and come over to the west and feel you know a different sort of isolation where they're being cut off from their own social networks so you know again i think this is a problem that um, that exists it's very difficult to work it out um uh, and if i could just go back to the example i was giving earlier you know my when my grandfather moved to the city you know slowly he moved a lot of his family out from the village into the city but his parents didn't want to move and so that challenge remained about you know how do you deal with elderly parents in a village when you're living in the city now you know some of this problem was sorted out in the old age in the old days because people didn't live that long so we have the added challenge that you know people are are living longer and and dealing with them taking care of them but also being with them you know is very difficult remotely and and i'll actually add to that so my mom came here in april i actually wanted to start her green card process so she can stay longer with us she simply declined she said no my life is out there and uh, we didn't really have a much argument other than hey mom i want to do this she said no uh, i still have two sisters in india she talks to them on a daily basis the background noise you might hear is she talking to my uh, niece her granddaughter in india 
So she talks to him daily and she said her life is over there. Uh, and she's really old, has a lot of uh, pains and, you know, phys- physical body pains and all those things. But she said, I cannot just walk away from that life. I cannot just leave everything behind and settle with you in the U.S. Uh, although she speaks English, but it's at a very basic elementary school level. So she has difficulty communicating, not just with my children, but anybody outside. Like, you know, she, she, she would take a walk every evening and in the morning. She says hi and hellos to every neighbor, but she's not really able to communicate. So for her, <clears throat> it's not simply about, hey, I have to eat more rice and more chicken, but it's also about my life is out there and I cannot change it for you. So, so I think we are in a situation where we are imposing our lives both on our children and our parents and parents have decided no and children we have to let go. So uh, it's never going to be a simple answer. It's as a, you know, it's a unique situation for all of us. We all have our own challenges. We have our all reasons to stay where we are and do what we do. So uh, I think this, this would be uh, a good what I find it is talking about it to different people and learning from their experiences, see how they have been coping, uh, their dual, uh, I'm, I don't want to say entities, but dual values, essentially where uh, they're living independently, letting go of their children to live independently, but still owe a responsibility towards their parents. So with that thought, I want to let anybody else add to it and uh, and then we can come back on this in the next episode. We are probably at the early edge of some of the decisions that you, Shashi, etc. talked about with parents. And I think it all comes back to where do you have community? Where do you feel that you belong, know the, uh, your surrounding environment and have the support system? And the answer becomes very clear when we look at our situation versus our parents' situation. Uh, we've had those conversations too, and it's pretty obvious that they live in a in a place where they have, you know, they know everybody, uh, they know exactly where to go if something goes south. Uh, but as, you know, as, as they grow older, we grow older, we'll have some bridges to cross and, and sort of benchmarking across you guys to see how you're handling it is, is extremely helpful. But everybody's situation is going to be unique and we're all going to have to figure out what to do when that, uh, when that time comes when certain decisions have to be made. All right. Uh, with that, we'll uh, end this episode. And uh, look forward to the next episode next week. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for joining.